Welcome in fans to the Utah Lax Report podcast. I'm your host, Tim Haslam. In this episode, I had the chance to interview Kyler Banks, who is the current head coach of the University of Utah MCLA D2 club team, who just won the MCLA D2 national championship. We talk about growing up in Oregon, how the team became a club team, and more. The Utah Lax Report podcast is sponsored by GroupSpot. Whether you're an organized high school team, a casual group of friends playing pickup, or a fully supported booster club, GroupSpot brings the team together like never before. Elevate your game and get to the finish ahead of the competition with GroupSpot. You can find out more about GroupSpot by going to groupspot.app slash sports teams. Welcome to the show, Coach. How are you? Doing great. How about yourself, Tim? Thanks for having me on. Doing great. Thanks for joining me today. Obviously, Coach, coming off uh, the heels of an MCLA Division II National Championship, which congratulations. It's super exciting. Uh, kind of the underdog in that, uh, and we'll get to all that, don't worry. But I wanted to start just with your background. Uh, you grew up in Beaverton, Oregon, uh, played in high school there. Tell, tell us about that experience. You know, some of us have interactions with Oregon, but but what's what's high school lacrosse like in, in the state of Oregon? Yeah, so high school lacrosse in, in Oregon is, is really on the rise. A lot of really good players coming out of there, at least from my specific area. You know, I played against guys like Tucker Dordovic, Sam Hanley, who are both All-Americans, Tawaraton finalists, so... It's crazy to see guys from what felt like such a small lacrosse community make it on such a big stage. But I think that's the biggest thing is lacrosse in Oregon is it's growing, but it's still small. You know, pretty much everybody in the state who's who's got a name, but it makes it all the more enjoyable because, you know, everybody and everyone kind of grows together and you see all the all the growth, all the progress. And now we're seeing it some of the bigger stages, which is which is awesome. And of course, uh, Beaverton, Oregon, you know, the home of, of all the Nike stuff. Did that have an influence on lacrosse? How, how does that kind of tie into the success there? Um, it definitely helped. Obviously, that means a lot of gear and things that Nike produced were a lot more accessible because they were cheaper or you could get them in outlet stores, stuff like that. But the thing that really helped was Nike held the ride. I'm not sure if it still happens, but it was a big recruiting camp for some of the, the nation's elite players. And so just having people come to Oregon that brought that high level of lacrosse really helped get more exposure and more talent to come through and out of Oregon. And then you played goalie, uh, you, you know, you ended up at Westminster college, I'm assuming through coach Kerwin and, and his Oregon connection. Tell us about uh, playing uh, at Westminster. Funny enough. I was actually there before Kerwin. We oh, got, okay. I committed and got there and then he got brought on as I came. So we kind of both came together, but I got recruited by Brad Lavoie at the time, who was under Mason Goodhand. And he saw me at a couple of showcases, a couple of different tournaments, and talked to me more about Westminster, kind of coming out to Utah. And at first I was like, oh, man, Utah doesn't really seem like my place. I don't know. And then when I took my visit, I was like, man, I could not have been more wrong. I loved the mountains. I loved all the, the hiking, the snowboarding, all the outdoorsy, all the scenery. So that's what ended up keeping me out here and, and why I'm still here to this day is just trying to explore this great state. <laughs> Uh, you, you know, coach, and that's a common thread uh, with a lot of people. So <laughs> I wish I could say that was unique, but, you know, a lot of people are still on vacation here because they've never left after coming, uh, you know, years later. Um, you know, it, let's fast forward to, to how this MCLA team all existed, right? And so uh, it used to be a rule that if a school had a Division One, an NCAA Division program on their campus that an MCLA team couldn't exist. And so last fall, that rule was reversed. 
and you know you and and some of the other guys that you've been just playing pickup with decide to, to form a team talk us talk about just sort of that progress talk about that time and and how the decision made to, to actually form a team yeah so uh, a big shout out to, to Connor cool and Michaela Leonard Arcus they were the guys that really spearheaded that but it's exactly like you said up until this last fall the club team at the U was just 15 ish guys putting a couple pieces of wood in the goal and, and playing pickup and they were happy with that and then there were these rumors about being able to maybe go MCLA, but we didn't really think too much of it. We just kept playing pickup. And then one day we hopped on a Zoom call and I said, hey, Utah Air Force, you guys are good to join the MCLA this year. And that was really just the catalyst. Once that happened, we started organizing tryouts, getting everything together. And that's when they asked me if I wanted to be their standing coach, which eventually evolved into me being the full-time coach. But that was really the catalyst was just, we got the okay and all of a sudden guys kept hearing about it and coming out of the woodwork and saying, Hey, want to tryouts? I'd love to play. And then we ended up having a fall tryout and then added a few more guys in the spring as well. And started from 15 guys ended up at around 36, 35. So it was, it was really awesome to see it. And, and just to be clear, you know, those 15 guys were playing pickups just, you know, once or twice a week and they've been doing that for, for a while. Right. And so there was sort of this core, uh, guys who, who were on campus who, who wanted to form this club team. This just didn't materialize out of midair, correct? Yeah. Like there was a very small kind of foundation of guys that were always there playing pickup, always wanted that chance to play lacrosse again. And once we were given the okay, everyone jumped on it because we got to play more organized lacrosse against real teams and travel and do all that fun stuff that a lacrosse team gets to do. It's not just pickup. And, and so, you know, Kyler, it's funny because it, it's just it's a testament to the work that you guys have done, because you, basically September, you're saying, OK, we're we're becoming a, a real program, so to speak, you know, and all of the things that go with that. So you hold tryouts, you find your players, you know, you're you're, you're collecting all the fees, you're trying to find a schedule. The the RMLC has supported you and, and put you in the D2 ranks when you started to reach out to teams. What was the response that you were getting? Um the first response was, oh, man, you guys are D2. And we're like, oh, yeah, man, we we really got this off the ground. We didn't know. And then, well, I mean, we were very fortunate. Teams were extremely welcoming. They were super stoked to see us back and, and kind of back at SLA Mix after we obviously made that transition. So I was personally shocked at, at how welcoming and, and happy and friendly everybody was just to not only have us back, but how willing they were to accommodate us in terms of scheduling games or even the few teams that drove down to play us, I was super thankful for considering we were a first year program. Absolutely. And, and so you get things off the ground. If we look at your schedule, you know, you started at UVU and that was just a three goal loss coach, you know, very first game back, you know, you, you probably think like, yeah, I know who I have. I, I think we're pretty good, but that was an opportunity to prove it. And a three goal loss to a, to a UVU team, you know, then you go and, and beat Utah state by five. Uh, you know, this was before they they went on their spring break trip and and kind of sh showed who they were. Uh, talk about just those first two games against those two in-state opponents. Yeah, I mean, that game against UVU was really telling for us. I mean, especially as coaches, too, you know, there were things we needed to iron out and learn. And, and that showed us a lot in terms of kind of substitution, running the box, how we need to fix that. But, you know, we didn't play our best that game. Obviously, it was the first game for pretty, pretty much both teams. But it showed us kind of this raw talent and what we had. And it was just a matter of kind of chipping away 
and chiseling that down into kind of this finished product that we want to have. So those first two games, the loss against EVU really helped us because I think the guys were a little cocky going in thinking we're going to be this, this monster team. And it showed us that, Hey, you know, we got to put in the work and, and grind just like everybody else. We're not just going to come in here and run through teams. And then that went against Utah state. We played them in the fall and we had won 13, 12. So just by one. So that was a really big moment for us kind of seeing where we had come from uh, like late October to beginning of the season. And I think that was like early February. So that pr progression was huge for those guys to see that, Hey, you know, we are really improving. We are getting somewhere with this. Absolutely. And then, you know, you go and face the college of Idaho who ended up being a high seed at the MCLA tournament, you know, losing that game 11, eight, sort of your first big road trip, uh, you know, and then you, you came up against uh, BYU about a month later and, and lost that game 10 to four, which again, looking at scores, you're going, well, wait a minute, that's a decent score against, against a story to BYU program, you know, talk about just those two games. Yeah. So that college of Idaho game, that was another game where kind of early in the season, these guys had a lot of confidence from, from nothing from lack of a better word. And they went into that game thinking, you know, it's got, this team's got 17, 18 guys. We'll be able to run through them. And that wasn't the case at all. They were, they were very well coached, a very, very good team. And, and they did their scouting. They knew that we weren't great at defending Max at that time. And, and they really took advantage of us in that aspect and, and just kept putting them in. So that was a big point for us where we could kind of take some of those things and kind of really shift the culture into, Hey, we're not just this team that's just going to win every game. We're really going to have to put in the work. You guys are going to have to buy in. And in the BYU game, I always tell people that, that was the turning point in our season. That second quarter is where our season completely flipped. Cause in that game, we opened going down six zero quickly in the first quarter. And I remember turning to, to Jeremy Sarton and going, you know, we might get blown out this game. This might be a bad one. And if we thought it was going to be for a second, but in the second quarter, that's when that whole switch flips and the guys started possessing the ball, really working it around. And the biggest thing is they started to trust in each other for the first time. And once that happened, you know, we were down six zero, but through the next three quarters, second, third, fourth, it was tied four to four and seeing how well our defense played the patience and maturity on clears. And then just seeing the ability of the offense to not only trust each other, but possess the ball and give our defense a break. You could see that even after the game, when we lost, everybody was just so amped and happy with themselves because they really saw what we can do when we play at our highest level and play at our best. And that was really easy for us to kind of piggyback off that and use that as kind of, these are the things that we need to do moving forward. And it really helped us find our identity as a team. Absolutely. And then you use that momentum, you use that identity to, to then win six straight to finish out the regular season. You find yourself in the RMLC tournament, uh, that semifinal game beating Utah State by one. Uh, and then, you know, the next day beating Montana State to claim the RMLC Division II championship 15 to eight. Anything to take out of, you know, the rest of that regular season and the RMLC playoffs? Um, I think we really just kind of really formed our identity, which was we're a very defensive minded team. So that means that we're going to get the ball on offense and we're going to slow it down. We've got the guys who can score and settle the offense. And that's also going to give our, our defense a chance for a break. And then basically set up our ride, our clear, and just give everyone a little bit more breathing room. But I would also love the highlight that I thought Utah state was such a tough opponent. What Bingham has done over there with that zone defense and really just kind of revamping that team up is it's something very impressive, and I always wanted to make sure he got credit for, for what a great job he did with that team because it, it gave us nightmares on, on that zone defense on days. 
he's a, he's a fan of the show. So I'm sure he'll appreciate that compliment. Uh, you know, obviously winning the RMLC championship, you get the, the AQ bid to the MCLA national tournament. Now, Kyler, I'm going to assume that you, that you had never been there. I know coach Sharton had been, cause he was on that MCLA team that went under coach Holman, but, but what did you know about the MCLA tournament? What did you expect? And then, you know, as you're arriving in Texas, sort of, what were some of the things that, that came to mind? Yeah. So obviously I had never been to an MCLA tournament or anything like that. So I didn't really know what to expect. And obviously Jeremy went, he went when it was in Salt Lake. So it was a little bit different. And, you know, we just kind of went in with an open mind and we're just going to kind of figure this out as we go and, and try to adapt as, as quickly as we can. And I'll tell you the first thing that I noticed when I got to Texas was I hopped off the plane and I mean, it started sweating. <laughs> Humidity is not my friend and wasn't a big fan of that. But, you know, being there for a week, you get used to it. But once we got there, the, the biggest message to our team was, as fun as this is going to be, this is a business trip. We're here for one goal, and that's to win it all. And anything we do that's not pushing us towards that goal is ultimately a waste of time. And I don't want to make it seem like we were super strict. I mean, you know, we wanted the guys on the off days, if you want to go down to Austin and see the city, by all means. But at the end of the day, know what you're there for, be where your feet are, and focus on, on the end goal, which is winning. And you get into that first round, you, you take care of business in a, in a close match against North Dakota State, nine to eight. And then the next day you faced Grand Valley State, beating them by six. I mean, Kyler, these are these are legendary MCLA D2 programs, you know. Um, and then obviously in the semifinals, you beat St. Thomas, which is probably the most famous, uh, you know, MCLA D2 program. You beat them seven to six. After that semifinal game, how did you feel going into that championship game on Saturday? I, I hope this doesn't sound like we discredit Rhode Island at all because they were a stellar team. But for us, that game against St. Thomas really felt like the championship for us because we knew that that was probably the toughest team for us matchup wise that we were going to face in the tournament, a similar style to us where it's very reliant on defense and goalie play, very grit and grind. And it's really going to come down to how well your offense produces and how efficient they are. But, you know, after winning that game, the guys were just so amped and, and so proud of themselves after that, that, we had such just a great high going that I knew that going into that championship game, I felt, I felt very strongly that we were going to come out with a win just based on kind of the energy, the morale and how focused the guys were after that game. And then uh, you get into that championship game, obviously, and, and win 13 to seven as that final whistle blew, you know, you saw on the feed, you're getting doused with Gatorade or water. How did that feel? On uh, that Texas seat, it felt amazing. Let me tell you. <laughs> But in terms of kind of more like a sentimental feel to it, it was it was something I'd always dreamed of. At the beginning of the season, I remember I, I thought, you know, it'd be so cool to have one of those Gatorade baths that those NCAA coaches get after winning a national championship. And I never thought I'd get one. I got one at the RMLC championship. and I was like, man, that was great. I'm glad I got to experience that. And I'll never forget, I was doing that interview with Dave Leach, VP of the RMLC and I see him opening them up and checking to see if they're water or Gatorade. And I turned it over and I was like, you better not dump me with the Gatorade. I don't want to be sticky for the next three hours. And luckily they grabbed the water, but it was just such an awesome feeling. And, and seeing how amped the players were for themselves and for me and the team and everything we accomplished was, was something sweet. And I'll never forget it, really. And, and talk about your team. You know, what, who are some of the guys, who are some of the players that, that are really, you know, the glue guys or the, or the guys that really just perform? You know, what, what are some of the things that come to mind when, when you think about the players individually? 
Yeah. I mean, some of the first three that come to mind are, are two captains, you know, Connor Cool, Zach Tripp, really just leaders. Connor's the reason this program exists a large part. And then Tripp was our goalie who's standing on his head and he's just a really, really big leader for us. And then two guys that I, I want to make sure get their credit were, were Dean Hives and Taylor Sorensen. You know, they were both big middies that, that wanted to play offense a lot of the year. And frankly, they're just so damn good at defense. We had to put them back there. And they didn't love it at first, but they're guys that realized that, hey, you know, I'm a hell of a defender back here. I really bring a lot to this team. And if we want to win, I'm the best person for this role. And so having them buy into those short stick defensive mid roles and, and really just be the anchors of that defense was, was something special. And then offensively, you know, guys like Jake Melville, Andy Schumann, you know, they were the older attackmen and they got kind of got bumped out that starting lineup by three freshmen. And they didn't pout. They didn't get mad about it. All they did was continue to ball out and, and help them, help them maturity-wise, help them skill-wise, and help them grow and kind of unlock more of their confidence. So even guys that weren't always on the field, they, they made sure that their impact was felt. And the last two I want to highlight were, were Abram Wilcox and, and Nick Irving. Nick was our, our backup goalie and our goalie trip. He's in doing medicine at, at the U. So there were practices he couldn't make through work and classes and, even though he knew he wasn't the starter and wasn't going to see the field all the time, Nick would show up every day to practice, give it his all, not only get better himself, but make the shooters and the offensive players on our team better. And that's something you just, you don't always get someone that's willing to show up every day and, and know they're not going to see the field for as much time as they they'd like. And then last one's got to be Abe Wilcox, number 23 on the, uh, on the sidelines for us. I'm sure you probably saw him during the, uh, the broadcast, always electric, just, keeps the sideline so amped and so energized. And that was something that we put an emphasis on was making sure the sideline is amped and energized, because if you have a dead sideline, your team's going to fall flat. And that's something we really, really put an emphasis on was keeping the energy high, staying positive and always, always supporting each other. And he was a major part of that. Absolutely. And, and of course, uh, a coach is only as good as his assistants, right? And so talk about your assistants and uh, what they meant to this team. Uh, wouldn't be here, wouldn't have had nearly any success I had without them. Jeremy Sarton is just a, a brilliant offensive mind. And, you know, with such a young team with, with so many freshmen and so much just general immaturity, what he was able to do and how he was able to get them to play not only together, but in the sets that we wanted and the way that he wanted was phenomenal. And, you know, a lot of people didn't want to give our, our offense a ton of credit, but the way they were able to spin the ball, hold possession and then grind teams down was, was something special. And, it really, really helped and, and worked with the way we wanted to play. And then Kevin Beaver, who was our faceoff coach, you know, I played goalie, Jeremy played midfield. We didn't have a whole lot of expertise at the X. And luckily we were able to find someone in Kevin who did. And he was able to turn guys that were just midfielders or, or really strong guys in high school and turn them into to high caliber faceoff guys. And they were a huge part of our team. We came in, Sam Hurtado was, was a Fogo coming out of high school, but Jack Hanley and Kyle Gormley, had never taken faceoffs really. And they stepped into the role, allowed Kevin to be their coach. And it was huge. And the last coach we had was, was Jack Merritt, who is listed as our strength and conditioning coach, but he was the one running the box and getting the guys stretched out, making sure they were loose. You know, me and Jeremy can't do our jobs if the right people aren't on the field. So his ability to run the box and keep things organized and smooth while still making sure that as many guys are getting in as possible was, was paramount to our success. It was, it was absolutely massive for us. 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, after the tournament, I, I want to, I, the Twitter, Twitter was active. The MCLA Twitter sphere is an interesting beast in and of itself. I don't know if you read the tweets coach, but uh, a lot of people had two main gripes. One is that they think that you should be in a, an MCLA division one team, which it was shortly announced after that that's the plan, right? So next fall, you'll be in that RMLC and MCLA division, division one. And then the other was that uh, people assume or think that this team, your team, is highly close or tied or associated with the NCAA Division One team, and so I, I know because I'm involved with with the NCAA One uh, team that it's not the case. But I wanted I wanted I want you to tell the world, tell the people listening, how involved the two programs are together. What what do they share in common? What what is what resources are shared? You know all of that. Yeah. So I'll touch on the uh, us being in Division Two, Division One after, but. In terms of our relation to the Division One team, we get to use their their practice field and we get to use their shot clocks for our games. And that's it. That's where the story ends. The only other real connection we have is the D1 manager is one of our starting attackmen in zero, Trevor Douglas. But outside of that, we don't really get much from them. We get the field, we get the shot clocks, and, and that's really where that story ends. Everything we do is, is self-funded, is built up from us and we don't really have any trickle down from that or, or any, we're not a, a feeder program. We don't really get anything from them. It's really just all us. And we're pretty much two separate entities and we kind of like it that way where they get to be the very competitive side and we're kind of the more laid back. Let's have fun. Let's play college lacrosse, but not at that D one commitment level. And, and, you know, coach, that's, that's how I see it too. And, and it's interesting, you know, it's, it's an easy, it's an easy thing to think that they would be associates somehow. Uh, you know, that's a, that's, I can see how people think that, but, but they aren't associated at all uh, outside of, you know, wearing, like you said, the practice field and, and wearing the same color jerseys, um, <laughs> you know, and um, I, I will though say that, uh, you know, a couple of the coaches reached out because they wanted to share uh, links to the social media and stuff. And so, you know, you might've seen uh, the official NCAA team tweeting out or, or sending Instagrams congratulating you guys, because it is a cool accomplishment, um, you know, and so it's, it's been a fun process to watch coach. Any, anything you want to, you know, as we wrap up here, anything you want to say is, as, you know, as you look back on the season. Yeah. And real quick, let me go back and touch on kind of the uh, us being in division two for the first year. Sure. And a lot yeah, of people, yeah. like, well, why, why would they do that? Why would they go there? And it's because when, when we started and we got the okay from the MCLA, we had 15, 18 guys that we thought we were going to have on the team. And you know, the worst thing for us that we thought we could do is come in D1, guns blazing, and just get smoked every game. That's one of the easiest ways to kill your program and make people, kids, not want to come back, not have a whole lot of new interest. And we really just didn't have the resources or anything. You know, me and my coaching staff, we were all first-year coaches. Most of these players had never played college lacrosse before. So for people to say that that should be straight to D1, you know, I don't, I don't agree. Had we gone straight one, playing teams like Colorado State, Colorado – you know, I don't know how we're going to against those in our first couple of games. Whereas in this, we were a lot more competitive. The guys had a lot more fun. And it really just served as this perfect foundation for our team to build and grow. Um, I, I just want to say how proud I am of the guys and really this team. You know, a lot of people, we didn't have very many expectations going into the season about, you know, what we were going to do or how it was going to work. And the biggest thing for me is the guys, they bought in. They trusted us as coaches. They respected what we said and, and they listened. And ultimate, ultimately, it, it worked out well. We had the success that we could only have dreamed of 
and not only winning the conference championship, but, but winning the national championship and the buy-in and the excitement from all the guys and, and the support from the parents too was, was absolutely massive. And without all of that, we would be only a few steps along the journey that we ended up making the season. So extremely grateful for, for all the effort, all the work and all the support that we received. Well, I, I love it, coach. I was, I was excited for you guys, you know, hopefully uh, the more is to come uh, as we continue to cheer you on the, the more lacrosse, the better, in my opinion. So the more teams we can have here in the state, the more opportunity for kids to play and for fans to watch lacrosse. I will definitely be behind that coach. Thanks again. And congrats on the winning the MCLA division two national championships. And we won't see you on the sidelines soon, but hopefully on uh, next fall, we'll, uh, I'll make it out to a practice and, and uh, get to know the team a little better. That would be, that would be awesome, Tim. And thanks for having me on. Thanks for all the support this season. It's, it's been awesome to be so, so welcome back into the uh, lacrosse world. So we're happy to be here.